0: Good morning, buenos dias. Last week we were reminded that God is working to deliver people everywhere around the world. It's an amazing thing. He's delivering people from spiritual calamity, from sin's negative effects that touch us all in our everyday living. God the Spirit works through people who believe in him and follow him, who walk with their God. We were reminded about that last week, last Sunday. Grace Chapel family, uh, we have a part in helping people in Liberia. I don't know if you are excited about that. But that's an amazing thing that we have part in ministry. God is working in people's lives and changing them in Liberia. And because you prayed, because you gave, because you cared to support our team, to support Robert Laquie, God is working there and we have a part in that. So I encourage you with that just to remind you that be a part of that here as well. So be praying for one another. Be a part of giving financially to the ministry that's going on here among God's people right around us. Be using your spiritual talents and your gifts to advance God's kingdom so that we can make disciples who know God, who love God, who serve God, wherever they are. That's why God has us here. In Luke chapter 6, getting back to Luke's gospel, Jesus is speaking to the crowds, but he is especially speaking to his disciples. He wants them to get this. The curious were going to get to hear this, but his disciples needed to understand these teachings and apply them to their everyday living. These are hard sayings. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Dion read them already. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Now, you didn't have any problems doing that this week, did you? Loving those who hate you, those who treat you badly. It's hard to obey that command in the intensity of the moment. It's hard not to fly off and strike back in similar fashion. When someone goes after you, you go after them. It's just our natural inclination. But God says we have to do it differently. Jesus Christ tells us we can do it differently because of his mercy and his grace. As a matter of fact, it's so difficult to do that that sometimes we give up. We just say, I blew it. I might as well just keep on that trail. But Jesus says no. We don't realize the joy and the peace that we can actually experience even in the midst of turmoil when we dare to believe what Jesus says is true and, and obey him because he's Lord. So Jesus is asking his disciples a very, not only is he giving them hard sayings, but he's asking them a very hard question. We didn't read it yet, but you can peek ahead in verse 46. It's Jesus asks this hard question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? That is a penetrating question. Why do you call me your Lord and then don't do what I say? What Jesus is basically asking is, do you love me, Matt Meter? You can put in your name. Do you love me? How can we ever hope to love Jesus well, to obey Jesus well? because we tend to go astray well i just want to point you to to psalm 25 we don't have time to look at it all today that's not my intent but i do remind you look at psalm 25 later on today because there david sought god's help to obey in verses one and two he says to you O lord i lift up my soul in you lord i trust Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. I love what he says in verse 7 of Psalm 25. David said, remember not the sins of my youth. Hey, God, remember not the sins of my old age. But remember instead your steadfast love for me. Wow, what a great prayer. What we need. So Psalm 25 is just to help for us to follow through on what Jesus is telling us in Luke chapter 6. So let's take a look into Luke chapter 6. These are uh, a part two series on discipleship essentials, a a disciple's handbook, essentials we need to follow Christ well. And today we want to look at these essentials, that love and charity are primary for Jesus' disciples. He wants us to get this. He wants us to begin to put it into practice this is a call what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 6 but I say to you who hear love your enemies and do good to those who hate you to bless those who curse you to pray for those who abuse you to one who strikes you on the cheek offer the other one also and for one who takes away your cloak to do do not withhold your tunic those call for extraordinary trust in God. It's not natural, humanly speaking, to respond that way. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul reminded us, and this is what we're to put into practice, for while we were still weak at the right time, what did Christ do? He died for the ungodly. He sacrificed himself for the ungodly, for you and for me. That's the love of God. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. But God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I might dare to suffer for you if I love you, or I like you maybe (laughs) but an enemy you've got to be kidding me Jesus are you sure this is what you're saying is this really true you see Jesus is using these kind of like extreme examples so we are reminded of heaven's extreme love for those who despise and hate And reject God that's God's kind of love he not only loves people who love him but he loves the ungrateful and the unbelieving those who despise him he shows great grace to and Jesus is calling his disciples you and me if we name the name of Christ today to this kind of sacrificial love so Jesus gives us some very concrete examples of what he means. Love your enemies and do good to your haters. The word love there is that word agape. Do you know? Are you familiar with that Greek word, that, that form of love? It's that sacrificial love of the will. It's the love of choice. A genuine concern for others whether they deserve it or not. That's God's kind of love, agape love. And that's the word that Jesus used in this sermon. In the first example, there's no physical harm done here, but I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. So bless and pray for those who curse you and mistreat you. Our words generally don't come out that way. The second example, there's physical harm. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So the second example is there's physical harm. And by the way, that wasn't a slap on the cheek. Jesus says, if they punch you. Okay, there's a difference there. What? Offer them the other cheek? You've got to be kidding me. What about justice? What about my personal rights? Jesus fled physical harm. So did his disciples. Here's what Jesus is saying. It means if you You take the gospel wherever we go. Where are you going tomorrow? Take the gospel with you. And when you go there, you may be close enough to experience a strike on the cheek, whether it's literal or figuratively. But there you are. Don't stop taking the gospel wherever you go, no matter how they treat you. Be ready to share, to speak to live the gospel. The third example is robbery, being vulnerable. And Jesus isn't saying don't go in a bad neighborhood and stand in a corner and be vulnerable and and let somebody uh, go after you. What he's saying is this, when you're doing his kingdom work, there are going to be times when you're in places that it's dangerous, that you're vulnerable, that someone will take advantage of you. Don't let that stop you living and speaking and taking the gospel wherever you are. The fourth example is generous compassion or charity about giving. Look at verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Give to everyone who begs from you, it says in verse 30, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Are you going to lend me money if you're very confident that I'm never going to pay you back? You'll think twice about that, won't you? I would. But Jesus is saying, don't let that stop you from being generous. Hey, the year of Jubilee, if you were Jewish, is going to be in a couple years. So I know I'm going to lose what I, you know, that that's going to have to be forgiven in a couple years. I'm never going to see that money. So, no, nah, I'm sorry, buddy. I can't help you out. No, be generous. Do what's right because you're trusting God to take care of you. So Jesus uses these extreme examples. He calls them, or I'm calling them, essentials for his disciples, but he was looking his disciples in the eye and saying, you need to do this if you're my followers. Jesus isn't saying to allow ourselves to be physically abused. Seek safety. Don't allow yourself to be robbed and give away your possessions so lazy people, dishonest people, can have it all while you go living poorly. He's not saying that. He is saying, is someone robbing you? Well, you need to find out why. And maybe you need to help them so they can feed themselves and clothe themselves and find shelter. Help them so they don't have to steal. Jesus isn't saying be passive about injustice to yourself or to others. Jesus is telling us to refrain from evil for striking back to get even. Why would Jesus tell us that? Because that's what Jesus did. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this. For what credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it? You endure it. But what what if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in God's sight. For to this you have been called, because Jesus Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on the cross. why we follow it. This is the path of Jesus. And Jesus says to his followers, I'm giving you the spirit so that you can follow in my footsteps. Jesus taught his enemies. He prayed for his enemies. He died for his enemies. He did not return evil for evil. He suffered so we could believe and live forever. Disciples, my followers, that is the example you are to follow because God's way is the way of mercy. In Psalm 103, the Psalm writers remind us God's way is merciful. He does not treat us as our sins deserve because God's ways are higher than our ways than the world's ways, and his disciples have to do that as well. Why should I bother suffering in this life? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why should I bother suffering in this life? When other people aren't suffering, they're taking advantage, they're grabbing what they can. Why do God, why do you ask us to do that? Because the reward is great. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend and expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons, and may I add, daughters of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. That's why we do it. We're saved by grace, not by works, and godly actions show that we are true daughters and sons of God. I have part of a quote from J.C. Ryle. I love this quote. Let me read it. No person will ever be a loser in the long run by deeds of self-denying charity and patient, long-suffering love. At times, he may seem to get nothing by his conduct. She may appear to reap nothing but ridicule, contempt, or injury. Their kindness may sometimes tempt people to impose on them. Their patience and forbearance may be abused. But at last, they will always be found the gainer. Often, very often, a gainer in this life, and certainly, most certainly, a gainer in the life to come. Such is the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ about charity. So why should I listen to Jesus? Well, he answers that. Judge not, and you will not be judged condemn not and you will not be condemned forgive and you will be forgiven give and it will be given to you in good measure pressed down shaken together running over will be put into your lap for with the measure you use it shall be measured back to you I've been hanging out on this point for a long time are you still with me In Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, there are some very familiar verses to many followers of Christ. Some of you can recite them, probably by by memory. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable uh, to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. What's it mean to be transformed in our thinking? It means that we will begin to put into practice what Jesus is teaching us here in Luke chapter 6. That's being transformed as we think about why we should do this, what Jesus is asking us to do, and the power that he gives us, the new life through the spirit of God to follow through. So loving charity is to characterize the followers of Christ. This is not an easy thing. It's a hard saying. What else does Jesus tell us here? He told He also told them a parable, it says in verse 39. Let's read a little bit. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. So Jesus here in this next section is telling us to pay attention to ourselves. This is an essential for you and me as followers of Christ. The first question is this, who are you following? Be careful who you allow to instruct you And how to live your life. Who are you listening to on your phone? What are you watching on your phone? They're discipling you. They're teaching you. They're telling you this is the path to go on. Be very careful who you're listening to, what you're streaming, and how you're letting it influence your life. Who are you listening to? Jesus says it's a funny illustration, right? The blind leading the blind. Where does that end? <laughs> in a pit. You f- Not good, yeah. <laughs> Did Jesus have someone in mind? Well, he called the Pharisees blind guides in Matthew chapter 23. They lacked loving charity. They lacked mercy. They were self-righteous and he says, do not listen to them. The apostle Paul warned believers about false teachers in his letter to the Corinthian believers, the second letter he spent chapters 10, 11, and 12 talking about um, uh, bad leaders, about bad attitudes, wrong attitudes about false teachers. And they were accusing Paul of being weak and not a true apostle. He was poor. But he said, I'm weak and I'm poor. I appear that way because I suffer and sacrifice so others can live. He was following in the footsteps of Jesus. Sanctified imagination. Okay, Paul, the apostle Paul, was called weak, bad teacher, et Etc. Cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Paul. You. You know what? Your where your office is. It's in a closet. Okay, Paul. You eat uh, a lot of rice and beans. You don't eat out a lot at fancy restaurants. You work on the side because that way you make ministry affordable and keep ministry costs down. Costs down. But the self-proclaimed that he called them super apostles, hear what they said. Well, I need a corner office up on a high floor with a lot of windows. I need the corner office. And, and I'm well financed and I attract a lot of attention. I'm, I'm on the cutting edge of ministry, and people see me and notice me because I'm out there. But who was the true apostle? Who was following the ways of Jesus. Let me just warn you about false teachers. You know, a fresh look at the scriptures kind of can enliven your faith. And there there are people who communicate really well. That's that's fabulous. But be wary of teachers who claim to have extraordinary, never-before-seen-or-known teachings from the Word of God. Have the apostles and saints for the last 2,000 years missed something that suddenly this one person has seen like never before? Be wary of that. Watch out. Be Check to be sure that what you're hearing is in step with Christ. And Luke 6 is a place to start that. How do they approach serving those they love and those who are their enemies? So there's self-accountability here. The blind leading the blind. Who are you following? And then Jesus, in verse 41, talks about that speck that is in your brother's eye, but, do not, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye. Self-accountability. What motivates you to correct other people? That's a hard question to answer sometimes. But why do we correct people? Is it so um, we prove ourselves superior? Is it so we prove that my opinion of you, which was kind of low, has been proven right? It's easy to spot others' faults, but we are blind to our own and I'm happy to overlook mine. A true disciple allows the Lord to reveal the beams in her eye, the log that's in her eye, a disciple of Christ humbly accepts Jesus' correction so that, so that he can follow the Lord closer and being more godly. You know, it's like Jesus flips the whole worldview. Here's my viewpoint. My faults are small. You know, when you, when you hurt me, that's a big deal. My faults are small, but when you do that, your faults are what? They're like huge. But Jesus flips it and said, no, it's the other way around. You are the one who has the big faults. You have the log in your eye. You better check that out before you start looking for the splinter that's in somebody else's eye. He flips it. Take time to look over how you live and treat others. Concern yourself with your own faults. That's what Jesus is saying here. Did you know effective ministry, Grace Chapel, family, it begins when God's people, those of us who claim to be followers of Christ, when we learn from Jesus, we sit at his feet and we start looking for the logs in our own eyes first. That's when true, true effective ministry will begin to happen, when we deal with the logs in our eyes first. Just imagine if I would deal with the logs in my eyes before I go after Leslie in my home. Right? Our homes would be different. Our relationships with our children would be different. And teenagers, your relationship with your parents will be different when you take a time to look at the log in your eyes before you start complaining about how wrong your parents always are. And believe me, my parents were wrong all the time when I was a kid. (laughs) Until I got older. Wow. Relationships in our homes will be changed if we start to put this into practice. It'll change our relationships at work, at school, even right here, when we're working together, trying to do God's work, sometimes we see each other's logs. Or should I say, they're really specks, right? Not, and we don't see our own laws. And then Jesus says, not only that, check out your logs. But then there's a fruit check. Look at verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bushes. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Can you read a person's spiritual maturity by what he or she produces in her life? You know, there's a lot of good people who do good work that have nothing to do with God or with Christ or his word. So what do you do with that? Here's a rule, a principle. Don't judge moment by moment. Judge by long-term accounts. You know, if you met David, King David, when he was making this big mistake with Bathsheba and murdered his, her husband... If that was the only thing you were looking at, what would you have said about David's spiritual life with God? Thumbs down. What a hypocrite. That guy can't call himself a good follower of God. But that wasn't what God's assessment was. And what about the disciples when they were denying and running away from Jesus when he got arrested? What would your assessment have been if you just looked at that moment about their faith and belief in God and where they stood? Thumbs down. You need the long picture. Aren't you glad God takes the long view that he knows our hearts and he understands that when we fall and stumble and act like we are the worst pagan, unbeliever, hateful person in all the world, matching Hitler's hatred? Let's think about that. That he died and forgave us if we have believed in him, that it's as though it hasn't happened. That's an amazing truth. Don't judge moment by moment, judge by long-term accounts. Spiritual fruit is not a certain indicator, but it certainly is suggestive. That's why Paul says, examine yourselves. He was telling that to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians 13. He said, examine yourselves, test yourselves. Are you passing the charity and love test? Is it never happening in your life? Well, then maybe you're not a believer. You just check yourself. Look at the logs in your eyes and check yourself. Number three, regenerated people will have godly fruit appear. Some of it may be a little, some of it may be a lot. I like what Daryl Bach says. If the seed of faith is present, if it's true, it will sprout in varying degrees in different people. Some people seem to produce a hundredfold some only tenfold but it's there and that's the work of God just remember this people we're saved by grace and not by ourselves Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5 tell us but God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your your fruit should abide. So if nothing Christ-like appears in my life, I need to say, am I really a follower? What's your answer? Examine yourself. One other question. Here's the hard question. Look at verse 46. Hard teachings and now the hard question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? If Jesus commands me to love my enemies and I never bothered to do that, Is he really my Lord? Is he really the one I'm following? Lip service, Jesus is saying, falls short. There's got to be some concrete evidence, some kind of transitioning, some kind of change going on in my life if I'm a follower of God. And if I love my enemies 20 years ago, what does that say if that's the last time I can remember when I love my enemies? God's grace gives me faith to believe, and then God's grace and love gives me the ability to begin to produce fruits of righteousness. That's a hard question. There's a wonderful promise right after that, though. Listen to it. You're familiar with this parable, building your house on the rock. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and it could not shake it, and could not shake it because it had been well built. So there's a promise. If you surrender to Jesus as your Lord, if you take those steps to say, I will submit to your authority, I call you, Lord, I want you to be my Lord, begin to teach me, Lord, help me to understand your ways, put them into my heart and then into my life. If we pray those prayers, if we seek that out, look at what Jesus promises you. No matter what storm comes your way, you will survive this world's disappointments, you will overcome them, life is gonna bring you hurts, but you will win in the end, and sometimes you even get the win in this life, hold on to that and believe it. Jesus said it, not me. To ignore Jesus is foolish. Look at verse 49 but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. To ignore Jesus brings tragic loss. Physical death and sin's turmoil touches every one of us in this world. But eternal separation from God and eternal separation from his grace and love does not need to be your experience. Just believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord and God. Love him, ask him to forgive you, and he will. So what's Jesus telling his disciples? Apply yourself to applying my word in your life and prove to be my disciples so my glory, my life-changing grace can be shown in the world and maybe, just maybe, others will believe by God's grace and his power and might at work in us. Do you remember why Luke wrote his gospel? He wanted his friend, Theophilus, to be confident that what he had heard about Jesus was true so that he wouldn't give up on his faith. And Luke wants us to not be doubted, have no doubts either, not to be doubtful, he wants to erase all our doubts. Jesus is God and savior and what we've heard is true. And here are some essential truths that he wants us to follow and to obey. There are blessings and there are warnings to be listened to. There are commands to obey, to love, and to cherish. There are questions that help us evaluate if we're truly followers. And again, I ask you this question just before we take and share communion together, remembering what Christ has done. Is he truly your Lord? Christ's disciples are generous and they're growing in generosity they're growing in love they're growing in kindness and they will stand firm with Jesus to the bitter end no matter how easy or hard life is because they know Jesus truly is Lord of all and he came to rescue them let's pray Lord God we ask you today to forgive us in our doubting we ask you that you would provide your great salvation. And help us to believe your plan for us is good. Turn our hearts towards you. Turn our hearts to be in love with your word and to to follow you, to crave after it, to, to look at who we're following and to make sure it's you. Change us so other people can see that you're a great savior so that they can experience the great love you have for them. We ask this all for Christ's glory. Do a great work in us so that your great work can go on throughout the world and all your people, the church. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.